What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Cheeky Midweeky. We have an unbelievable guest. We have Ed Cosner on the show. Anybody that, I mean, we get tons of people talking about how great the Buddy Morris episode was, and Buddy was phenomenal. I think this is going to be right up there from listening to Ed and I talk um, before we even hit record. Ed, briefly introduce yourself, and then please just keep talking because that was awesome. <laughs> uh, I'm Ed Cosner. I uh, have my own little private business now, uh, Power Sports Strength Conditioning. Um, it's in my garage, air conditioned in South Texas. Cause you know, I'm hardcore, but fuck, I ain't sweating that damn much. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, you know, mostly online training now. I, uh, had coached for a long time and I took a little step away. Um, but that's it, you know, doing a lot more, trying to do a lot more with masters athletics, um, and masters, uh, but just older, older population using the uh, some of the tricks that I, I have to uh, keep competing at 62 years old. I'm still out there competing. You know, I'm still throwing in Highland games. I'm still trying to lift in contests. So, and I'd like to show off. I mean, unless you're, if you're not going to say it, then I'm going to say it to everybody that's listening or watching this, man. The man was talking about pre, pre-show, he was doing deficit deadlifts, glue ham raises, seated box jumps. Like, he's training probably tougher than... I'd say a lot of these fitness influencers in the world, or even some of these kids, like dudes getting after it still. And he inspires me. That's why you can kind of hear it in my voice. Um, I'm looking forward to this episode as much as hopefully you guys are like Ed has a phenomenal background. I mean, if you look at his website, like how long that picture of you, you were shredded in that very first picture on the, uh, on the, uh, oh, the body on the page. Yeah. yeah. That's cause, uh, I was powerlifting and I wanted to drop down a, a weight class and uh, I was asking the bodybuilders in the gym, uh, you know, w- what they did for diet and stuff. This is coming from a guy that walked in with Whataburger in, in a bag, you know. <laughs> so the old man that owned the gym, Bob said, boy, there ain't no way in hell you could do that. I'm like, excuse me? Oh, fuck you talking about? Yeah, I can. <laughs> so I got with them. I dieted down. I did three shows. The normal powerlifter physique, you know, huge back, big ass legs. Turn around. Is that guy got a chest at all? Throw up a a bicep pose. Like, no, he ain't got no bicep either. Big ass triceps. Look good from behind. Look bad the front. (laughs) So, amen. Amen to that. Yeah, I had fun doing it. It was. uh, I didn't have fun dieting. But what was the worst part? The last two weeks, um, trying to get the uh, the carb depletion. Um, you go like zero carbs for a few days, then you put, you know, like 50 grams, which ain't very much 75 grams. And I was waiting tables at the same time downtown on San Antonio on the river walk in a nice restaurant called, uh, called Boudreaux's serving blackened prime rib, you know, coconut shrimp. So I mm. put it down, I put it down in front of people like shaking. Like, Don't eat it. Don't not, eat it. You're not going to eat all that. I'm just going to lick the salt off of it. <laughs> And I'd go back in the back of the kitchen and eat, you know, boiled chicken, vegetables. Oh, so vegetable. Okay. Yeah. So you weren't eating like no, no pastas, no starches, not, no muff, not the, nothing. Not the, yeah. Not that last two weeks. Um, you, you start, then you start slowly adding it in, but it's all with like distilled water, everything else. So your body doesn't hold a bunch of water. It's a real, it's a real trick. And it's a real heartbreaker because like the last few days before you weigh in you look like crap i mean you're just deple- you look you're depleted you got nothing you got no cut you got no muscle you're looking down like 
Jesus, you know, I dieted down from 240 to, two, to 220, 215. I'm like, I don't have any muscle. Where the hell did it all go? And then the night, you know, you start adding your carbs over a few days. And then the night before, after I did my weigh-ins, I think I woke up at like 3. And all of a sudden, there was all these cuts. All this muscle just shredded. Like, oh, hell yeah. I spent, I spent the next two hours posing. Just staring at yourself. Which was probably more posing work than I did the entire 16 weeks that I was dieting. <laughs> if, if I put up a video of it, you, you would know it. I'm like up there like, oh, wait a minute. What do you got? Oh, I got to do that ah, shit. And then I, got my, I, got my, I got my idiot friends in the front row yelling, oh, my God, is a power lifter with abs throwing Oreo cookies at me. <laughs> and, other, and other friends trying to remind me to smile. I'm like, smile. I'm up here and... I, I got underwear to cover more than this. I'm trying to, you know, there's a, there's a great, a great friend of mine. She's a professional bodybuilder and a hell of a uh, power lifter back in the day, Mary Ellen Warman. Um, Mary Ellen was there. She's like, oh my God, you got striations in your glutes. Grabbed my posing trunks, pulled them up my crack in my rear end and shoved me out on stage. So the first 20 seconds of my posing routine, I'm trying to get my, I'm trying to get my posing trunks out of my ass. Like it was the experience of a lifetime. <laughs> what are people not like? First of all, I didn't know anything about that with bodybuilding. Like so many people listening to this right now might just—they probably thought, "Oh, bodybuilding—it's you know, you, you get to look great and it's eat." Like it sounds like way more fucking work than anybody ever thought. It was a lot of work. Um, it was a, it was a lot of work. It was, but it was challenging. You know, I, I'd already won I'd already won several powerlifting championships. I was having fun doing that some, um, just kind of looking for another challenge. And I, I only did it for three years. I won at the, back then the NPC had level three, two, and one. Um, so the NPC was a national seat committee. So oh. w three was a, like the novice, and I won that. Two was the intermediate one, so I won that in South Texas. But it's when I got to the top, when I got to a national qualifier, I had cut my hair at, back when I had hair. You had hair? How long was it? How long was your hair? Well, I thought it was all one length, but it was really just thin on the top and a friggin' mullet. And, you know, beat up shoulders from, from so many years of lifting already. Like, I couldn't comb it, so I, like, it had a, it had a flip. I showed a picture to, to uh, my wife, and, and she looked at it like, don't show anybody that picture. It's great right there, but we just chopped the head off. <laughs> and, oh, wait, and the Fu Manchu. Back then. Oh, you had a Fu Manchu oh, back then the, too? I had the Fu Manchu so I could accent this big ass friggin' chin that looked like Dudley Do-Right. I mean, that's <laughs> that's a real, real men back in the day had the, the good solid jawline, you know what I mean? Oh, I got a solid jawline. Yeah. And a big ass Anybody chin. that's listening, he does. You're going to want to go watch the video because <laughs> he has a solid jawline. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, and, but when I went up there, I'd cut my hair uh, shorter and you know, went through the went through the prosing, went through everything, and the guys, the, the guys that were judges, were like, "Oh, Ed, hey, we didn't know it was you. We would have placed you higher." I'm like, what the I fuck? Just, did I deserve to be placed higher? No, but we would have. Like, all right, That's fuck. <laughs> yeah. But it, you know, for then I started going. Back, I started going to school and everything, and I went back to powerlifting, which is what I really enjoy. Um, I always tell people, you know, everybody bags on each other's like what they do, you know, what, what they, how they coach their philosophies, everything else. And in 95, the, a guy who was like a premier in the NSCA, 
he stood up and it was my second year. Uh, I had, so when I went to UTSA, there was no strength conditioning coach. There was no football then, only basketball and then the other sports. So I had interrupted the basketball practice and the basketball coach remembered me from training uh, David Greenwood, who was a UCLA, played for UCLA, played for John Wooden. And I private trained David from, from 88 to 91. Um, he won a championship with the uh, Pistons. And, uh, and uh, so he knew me from that. And he was like, well, we don't have a strength coach, but I got a fat one up there running. And I got a skinny one up there in, in the supposed weight room trying to put some weight on. Can you take weight off of one and put it on the other? So I had just was up there like signing, you know, signing all my, you know, getting paid, my classes paid for and everything. Went down, talked to the athletic trainer, Jerry Greason, and I became the strength coach for 18500 a year. <laughs> I mean, 90, that's almost... That was 94. Hold on, you said 18000 Yeah. Quick break from the show to remind you to hit that like and subscribe button. It helps us out and it helps you be notified when we have new content get released. So again, please hit that like and subscribe button if you enjoy this content. And with that, let's get back to the show. Uh, bro, I was making twenty two thousand my first year at Maryland, and that was in two thousand and twelve. So oh, wow. you're fucking rich. Yeah, I was still waiting tables downtown too, but at a better place called Dick's Last Resort, where you could. Uh, their whole concept is rude service. You could say what you want. People are like, oh, yes, oh, yeah, yep. yeah. People are like you're like oh, supposed you to insult them, right? Yep, yep. People are like, yep. oh, you work here, so you can do that. I'm like, no, I suck as a waiter. This is the only job I can get. <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 fuck off and what do you want? <laughs> and, they, and they would throw money at you. I'm an ass and they would throw money at me. Like, okay, this is my this is my whole life right here. <laughs> it was hard to leave that one. Actually, you know, I started up there. Uh, I went from from UTSA. I graduated. I went to Baylor under Rob Rogers as a graduate assistant. Wish I could have taken the position at UT um, with uh, Rock Gullickson and Evan Marcus. And, you know, Evan is uh, the strength coach. He's the strength coach in, uh, with the uh, Cardinals now. Um, Buddy does the uh, return to play. Um, yeah. Evan's the strength coach. Uh, okay. Great guy. Um, wanted that one because I wanted, because Terry Todd, we'll go, back, we'll go into that. Terry Todd's one of my mentors and who started me in this, who, on this whole path. So I wanted to go there, but $400, $400 a month stipend as opposed to Baylor offered 1800 a month. Yeah. You know, money talks, I'm, people. I'm money 35, talks. I was 35 years old then, 36, almost 36. You know, you got, I gotta, I gotta, I gotta make the choose with, choose with money. But uh, yep. and then I uh, during the lockout in '99 with the with the I was back in San Antonio and the players were locked out, and uh, the strength coach for the Spurs gave me several players and they had them work with me. That's um, awesome. And uh, yeah, and that's how I ended up with the Spurs. I ended up there for first two championships. But my first year with the Spurs, Thanks. I was an intern, and um, you know, if we weren't playing, I was waiting tables at Dick's. <laughs> so it was, uh, you know, do what you got to do to get, you know, you get you get there. And Steve Waterson, uh, who was the strength coach for the uh, Oilers and then for the uh, Titans, I worked training camp for him with the Oilers, and uh, he told me to make myself invaluable. Bro, it sounds like you are. Like that's you this know, is some really. This is unbelievable. Anybody listening to this as far like you hear the things in the the effort that it, it yes, it does take a while to get into this thing because it, it is that great. You got to be protective of who gets in this. Yeah, you, you really do. Um, but uh, I started training uh, a boxer named Jesse James Leha was a world champion boxer, former world champion, two time fought Azuma Nelson. I mean, stud little 
135 pounds. So, you know, you're like this freaking big, can't get out of the ride <laughs> in Sea World. But uh, great dude, really worked hard. But he was out at the uh, high school football field when I was running some play, some players in that. And he was like, oh, yeah, this is, this is Jerry Rice's workout. I'm like, really? Start looking around. He's like, what, what? I'm like, there ain't no mountains here. Jerry Rice runs in the mountains. I said, I trained, I trained with Bruce Colley, who played deep offensive line for him. Um, and, you know, I went out there. Jerry runs in the mountains. I tried to run with him. I almost died. So, you know, no. And, but he, what he was doing was he was doing 16 110s. The normal. Oh, gotcha. Yeah, yeah. I'm like, dude, every, every football player in America is doing this right now. It's summertime. It, you know, in 2000, and two, 2000, 2001, everybody's doing that. So I introduced him to a, a med ball, the wall, and sprints. <laughs> and he went from being that ex-world champion that they put guys in front of to, get, to look at and engage the other, other athlete to fighting for three world titles. We went down to Australia in 2003 to fight Costa Zoo. So, but like I said, so anyways, we'll go back to the original part because I'll get all over the place. Um, scatterbrain here. Uh, same, same. T- I mean, it, it, that's so both it, of us then. Good. So at 95, uh, guy gets up at the NSCA. He's like, hey, you're either a powerlifting guy or you're a weightlifting guy. And I'm sitting in the audience like, shit, I, I, I just started this career and I'm a powerlifting guy because that's what I compete at. I'm a weightlifting guy because that's what I started competing at and I used some of it. I was a thrower as a kid. So when I went to the YMCA at 14 years old, I got sucked in with a couple of throwers, mostly so I could shag that 16-pound shot foot for them. <laughs> Yeah, they, that's but what they, they wanted to do. Yeah, but they taught me. So I was already running, sprinting, jumping, you know, doing that. So our sprints were after we got done training on Saturdays, we would go out on 8 Mile because that's where it was, and that's the borderline for Detroit. And Shout out Eminem. Yeah, yeah, punk. <laughs> the, uh, <laughs> we, would sat, we would sit at this uh, right by the stoplight, and when the stoplight would turn green, we had to sprint to the next, to the next stoplight. Traffic, oh, everything like else, we had to sprint, you know. So, yeah. And, uh, but I was like, okay. But I also used bodybuilding. I trained with a guy, uh, Matt Mendenhall, who was uh, Joe Weider's blonde hair, blue eyed boy in the 90s. Um, yeah. So I, I trained with all these great people and I use a little bit of everything. So, you know, my rugby guys, you know, when I trained in them, because, you know, I, I trained several members, uh, besides. I trained Ben Franks for a long time, who's a two-time gold medal gold medalist with the uh, Rugby World Cup, and his brother. Um, but from 2012, no, 2013 to the World Cup in 15, the strength coach for the All Blacks would just give my program that I sent for Ben to the forwards, and they would train. <laughs> my shit, dude! You can at least send me a pair of friggin' shorts. Um, but Ben, you know, Ben, Ben, Ben is awesome, and you know, he wanted guys to train with so the guys that really wanted to he was showing them the program that i was doing um you know that you know and and making sure that you know he had training partners but if you want to put some size on your shoulders yeah 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 standing pro shoulder press uh, no no seated shoulder press is gonna put more size on your shoulders than standing shoulder press why just because it's it's the movement is here if you get guys that are a little bit tight and a little bit inflexible when you start doing a shoulder press you start leaning away right yeah. If you're seated, you won't lean away. 
if you got the back there, you won't lean away. Oh, because you have something against your back, not if you're right. just sitting down without it up. Gotcha. Yeah, you're going to be able to, you know, get those five to eight reps that it takes. You're not, you're not packing meat on with three reps. Yeah, he's speaking to me right now because I suck overhead and I actually need to get a lot better at it. So, yeah. Yeah, well, you know, and a lot of guys, you know, that thoracic, that thoracic mobility and then me, I mean, this is my flexibility of my wrist. So I'm throwing for, you know, Highland games, throwing stones that are who the hell knows how big and everything else. So I have to be able to get in position. I can't get in position that well with a bar. I can catch it and drive it overhead. So if I do a hang clean, I, I'm going to catch it and drive it overhead. A lot of times I do power cleans, I'm going to do the same thing. Um, if I snatch, it's light. It's just for some mobility in, in, my, in my upper back. I prefer to jump, throw, throw med balls, you know, that kind of stuff. So, and squat, and squat, and pull, and squat, and squat, and pull. You know, that's the sport that picked me, and that's kind of the athletes that I work with a lot of times. That's the sport that's picking them, and those are the positions. Hmm. But, you know, I've taught, I had, let's see, I had one seven-footer, two seven-footers, a 6'11", 6'10", 6'7", and every one of those guys could snatch off the floor. And every one of those guys could snatch at least 80 kilos off the floor. Would you make them do it again now, knowing what you know? Yes. And I'm not saying that you did it. Okay. Yep. <clears throat> yep, without, without issue. Because we worked at it. We worked from hang, muscle snatches, where they got used to it. We did overhead squats. I still think overhead squats are probably one of the best things that you can do. One of the, uh, you know, Aaron Asmusis. Yeah, Aaron he, yeah, yeah. Works yes. for Sornex and uh, he does a pen and paper strength app and everything. Aaron and I come that, that, that same little era. We call it the uh, Arby's five for five. Remember when Arby's used to have five roast beef sandwiches for five bucks? I actually not, do. Yeah. Not, yeah. Okay. No, I also I also remember when a five dollar five dollar footlong was actually five dollars because yeah. I used to go and get two of them for ten dollars and fifty cents because I'd go with a ten dollar bill in two quarters. Yep. But the Arby's five for five for us is five behind the neck press, five overhead squats. Like in the warm up or in training? In training, warm up. Okay. I did. I, I did it at 16 weeks after open heart surgery with a zipper in my chest. I did it with eight with uh, 90 kilos. Oh geez. So that's at 16 weeks. But knowing how to do it, and then you know a lot of guys they don't. Uh, like starting positions, you really got to look at the, the mechanical advantages and disadvantages with, with guys. You know, if, if they're, you know, I got like the seven footers, six ten. you get these big tall guys, not everybody's, you know, shoulder to torso, torso to knee, knee to, knee to foot is going to look the yep. same. So, you know, do you put them up on six inch blocks? You put them up on 12 inch blocks. Um, very, very seldom do we do a lot of like a hang work because I, every time they, they come back down on a hang, they hyperextend their knees. Watch a guy when he when he unracks the hang clean. If you're if you're a lifter, you know how to slab it into your thighs to you know to hold onto it. Most of the guys they don't, and it just kind of pulls down. They look like they're going into an RDL, and they'll hyperextend their knees. Alvar Meal taught me that when I spoke to him um, a couple of times. But uh, you know, you kind of use what you use every tool you can, and I don't think that I've ever not used a tool on somebody. So whether, you know, there's some guys that there's some guys that the Olympic lifts weren't going to be great for D some dumbbell work would be fine. And there's guys that just didn't want to do them like Owen Franks, who's Ben's brother in, in all black as well. 
Owen loved the Olympic lifts. Ben did not like the Olympic lifts. So Owen trained with the Olympic lifts. Ben trained with a little bit of them. And that's it. You know, <laughs> Ben liked to deadlift more. Owen didn't. Okay. <laughs> so, you know, you, 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 and that's the, that's, the, that's the easy part when you're working one-on-one -on -one with people. You, you, you can't do that, you know, like in a college setting. Yeah. You know, you got 100 football players. You're, you're not making that many concessions. Yeah, no, I mean, you can if they're getting older. Like, for me, I well, would do that only yeah. with the kids that I would that I really trusted, right? Like, the kids yep. that, you know, what I would call my uh, refined plus athletes where it's like, okay, I understand that maybe what I would also even do with, like, my kickers and punters uh, and my quarterbacks is like, look, if we're doing hang power cleans and you don't want to do a hang power clean, we're not replacing it with curls, but if you want to do a box jump or some sort of loaded oh. jump instead, like, hey, there's the concession for you just because your position is so different. Right, and that, and you have to you have to be able to look at athletes and do that. You have to be able to kind of make those adjustments. And I've always been able to, always been able to on the fly, always been able to find something else, and then be able to you know get them to do some of the stuff I want. But like, I get the older players. Yeah, you're gonna you're you're gonna have some nicks and niggles. You're gonna have some ouches and hurts, like I do, yeah. like you do, like everybody. So you gotta be able to right. train around. You have to be able to train around that, through that. Or avoid that. So if I can get, if I got a guy and he just doesn't want to, it just hurts too much to do this. I started using a log for power cleans or like hand clean. Start using oh. a log because it's nice and neutral. Yeah. The log is nice. It, 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 and I get that violent hip, ex, hip extension. That's I don't want to hear, I, we don't get up on our toes. We'll get up on our toes, but we're not leaving the ground. You can't apply force to the ground if you're up in the air like a bunny rabbit. You know? So I look for that, that, especially for a front rower, offensive lineman, I look for that violent hip extension. And I can get that with a log, and, I can, and you can rack it in that, in that neutral position, right? That's a and really good I'll, idea. Yeah, so I'll use that, and I don't stop there. I always make them go overhead with it. It's going to be a catch and then drive it overhead. Just because if, you know, if you have a log and you catch it and you, know, you catch something heavy, you know, if too heavy, you'll start leaning back. So I use it as more of a, uh, to temper, to kind of temper the enthusiasm. The same thing I do with me. I like to lift heavy. I only like to lift heavy. I don't believe in lifting light. Um, lifting light for me is five reps. Uh, sometimes I'll do eight, but I can't count that high. Every time I video it, I'm like, that was seven. Oh, shit, that was four. That wasn't even I have close. <laughs> Uh, I, can, I have to interrupt you real quick because one of my, my former assistant, Kate, she was a power lifter and I used to bust her chops because I think it was uh, the Disturbed song where it was like, I can only count to five. I can only count to five. Like, let, instead of let the body sit the floor. And I was like, okay. And I was like, if you do eight, you're just counting to four twice. So, yeah. Yeah, I still get confused with that. Like when Louie first came out with the uh, eight sets of three, I used to have, I used to, get, I used to go get eight marbles and put, put aside. <laughs> I we used I, to I tried that we used thing. to use chalk chalk on the uh, on the on the rack on the rack yeah well the guy at the uh, the gym I trained at in uh, in San Antonio would have killed us when we put chalk on the rack so we just <laughs> we had we had marbles we just put them from one pile to the other and we still screw that up <laughs> I, I could see that <laughs> my God but so like I say the but what, how I temper things is I use a thicker bar I use you know the blue fat grips the orange fat grips. Um, I'll use my iron mind. I have a really good fat uh, dumbbell, um, plate-loaded dumbbell. So in order to go as hard as I want, 
I do that, but I just I just change what I'm using. And then a lot with the masters and, and with the, some of the older athletes, I started finding ways to train around stuff. So when I got to uh, New Zealand, Ben really, his shoulders were really beat up from, you know, obviously rugby is a tough ass sport. Yep. And when you're playing a front row with the all blacks, it's a real tough sport. And uh, so his shoulders were beat up. So I took a couple of Rams down there, which were um, Titan. Uh, it's like a, it's like a, you know, calls across put each arm. And yeah. what it did was it, it gave them full range of motion, but help off the bottom full range. Of, instead of, so that's essentially Mark down. Bell's slingshot uh, before yeah, Mark Bell made his, it was before, before his Mark slingshot. Bell, yeah. Yeah. Pete Allen so, is the uh, owner of Titan. Um, yeah. And uh, so, a real good friend of mine. And, and uh, yeah, he, he had, I don't know who, I don't know who, what came first, the chicken or the egg. So yeah, but, I mean, chances are, if you're yeah. talking about that back in the day, it was probably that. Yeah. So I, you know, I took a few down there with him, and, and it was able, he was able to you know, get that full range of motion where everybody else wants to put a block on their chest and shorten the range of motion. I want to take you through the whole range of motion. And get but some help take, out of the bottom. I like right. that. And then same thing. You know, my knee sleeves are sitting up on my squat rack drying from nasty-ass sweat. I'll yeah, my staff sleeves. hated my knee sleeves. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I'll use knee sleeves, but when I start going heavier and at 62 years old, and I've already squatted, you know, in the mid-800s throughout my career in powerlifting. I'm a little beat up. So I went back to my old knee wraps. Granted, uh. these knee wraps are from 1985. The Marathon <laughs> Goldmine. Can we send you a new pair? Let's, we'll send no. you a new pair. No. Pete's given me several <laughs> new pairs. I go back to these. And where I used to wrap down my knee and back up, I only wrap down my knee. So I don't pull them really tight but I can pull them tight enough to give me a little bit more support so I can get that little bit of bounce out of the bottom or, you know, a little bit of help off the box. So I go yeah. back to the same thing. I go back to that full range of motion, but. I'm, I'm stealing that. Just oh, you know, I'm fine. stealing that. Yeah, like that that's is, fine. that's a really good idea. Yeah. I mean, think about it. You really <clears> want <throat> that full range of motion. You want that full movement. You know, same thing. You're tight in the shoulders. You know, you're tight in your thoracic. You got the dumbbell or the bar. You're like doing this. Get rid of it. Go one hand. One hand. You know, I always tell the people, you know, no rodeo. I don't want to see that other hand out here doing this shit. I, I, you put it on your belly. Hold it out to something. But now if it's back here, you lose that stretch reflex across the whole body. I just get that. You know, I, I can put it back in position and I can get that. And I can start, you know, getting the flexibility, getting everything else. So now I can get you healthy. I can get that joint full range of motion and moving. It's the same thing. I like like kettlebell swings. I do them because I did the Highland Games for so long, and it was great. But uh, Sornas came out with a uh, Hungarian core blaster, and it was with just a it's just a peg, and it got a uh, bar through it and plate uh -huh. loaded. So I use that. And it's like a double hand kettlebell, except it, you can load it heavier. Uh -huh. So I really like that, and I started using that. I put a band on my hips. I put the band on my hips, and I get just tight enough that it's almost pulling me off balance. So now when I come through with that, with that, with that core blaster or, you know, the kettlebell, I really have to drive my hips forward in order, otherwise it's going to pull me off balance. So my hips are more active and, I, and I'm getting at, and I'm getting after it. So I, I can do that. And I usually contrast that with some, you know, med ball throws because I just love med ball throws. Amen to that. Always, always have. My question is with your extensive background in bodybuilding and well, hearing what that guy's 
Well, uh, okay, you yeah. did it at the very yeah. least. Like, you did there it. You go. And then, but hearing the guy talking about powerlifting or weightlifting, you're speaking to my soul because I remember in my grad school where it was like, look, you're not, you're training athletes. They're not a powerlifter. They're not a bodybuilder. They're not a this, they're not a that. They're an athlete. They've got to do their sport. And these are just methods to train them in the weight room. What would be the thing that you say to a strength and conditioning coach right now that might be trying to steal or use things from bodybuilding and how, like just how it doesn't actually translate into athletics because of we, our listeners are probably battling kids that are seeing somebody with abs. that looks like a really good athlete. And they're like, Oh, I want to look like so-and-so like, you know what I mean? Like just speak to that. So my, my era is the eighties and nineties. So a little bit more of those guys were a lot more athletic. Even the power lifters were a lot more athletic in that era. You know, we ran sprints, we jumped as power lifters and everything else. So it, the bodybuilding, now, I, I don't think it, unless you're trying to get a kid to put some weight on, you could use, you can use, you know, a few little things from it, but you're not going to squat, you know, eights and fifteens, you know, you're not going to put them on a hack squat, uh, you know, that kind of stuff. I'm not putting them on a leg. We'll do leg curls, some, um, maybe seated leg curls with a band to warm the hamstrings up, but I'm, uh, I really don't think that that it equates as as well as as people want it to anymore. Um, just like I don't think that some of the power lifts, uh, power that's my sport. That's a sport I love. Um, I don't think that a lot of the power lifts equate to it. Who the who, who wants to put their legs that damn wide and think that it's going to help a football player? You know. Please say that again. <laughs> yeah, I mean it's a it, it's impressive. I'm not going to say that it's not impressive, but. The legs are that wide. It's, that's not a stance. The last time I looked at somebody, you know, and I do box squats to protect my knees and, and it helps me on some things. And I do regular squats. But if you're, you're sitting back so far trying to sit on that box, the last time I looked at somebody, look, you know, in that position, they were getting about to get trucked over. You know, somebody was running them over and, you know, rubbing their balls on their, on their forehead while, while they're going past. Taking a quick break from the show to talk to you guys about our sponsor, Team Builder. If you have any online training platform needs, Team Builder is the go-to place. Team Builder has the ability to integrate with velocity-based training tools. They have the ability to program and have notes and videos for all of your athletes and your clients. This is your number one stop shop. Been using it since 2019 when I was working at Towson. So I've used it, love it. Make sure you check it out. Go ahead, click the link down in the description. And with that, let's get back to the show. If you, you know, box squat's great with your little feet a little bit narrower and everything else. I just don't, you know, use the, use the wider squat, develop the hips, develop the groin, that kind of stuff. But I just don't think that, that heavy load. And sometimes guys just a little too much over here and, and they're just, there's not enough in the middle of the road, you know, using other tools, using other things. Yeah. You know, it, it seems like guys are like, well, this is what I do. I had a, I had a really good uh, guy that I knew um, when he was at U of H competitive power lifter we competed on, on team titan together but he didn't use the power lifts when he trained the football players he used you know power cleans some deadlifts but more of a clean pole the hips a little bit higher position you know that kind of stuff you know it, to me like i will pull i will pull some things away like i like the low bar squat especially for my big guys um I think that the I think the low bar squat puts them in a better position. It gets a little bit more of that hip and hip and ass, right? 
and it's a better position. Now you also got a guy that's big and thick, and he's got some big-ass traps. I got that bar only on the traps, and I don't have contact with the shoulder. So that bar's flip, you know, moving around. You end up with some shoulder and bicep issues too. So, and then when guys started coming out with like um, the ox bar from Sornex, the Buffalo bar that um, Iron Mine came out with a long time ago, and some of the other curved bars, you know, that kind of sits nice in that groove back there. Get your hands out a little bit forward so you're not really pinning back and you're not taking a chance to get in that uh, tendonitis that oh, every power lifter gets in a brachialis um, from the bar slipping around on them. Yep. So, and you can do that and then, you know, come back to a high bar. I think sometimes, though, guys get a little too much with, uh, with all the uh, – cat scratch me <laughs> – with, uh, with all the different bars and, and they get away and you lose – you can – so I had a shoulder injury and I was using the safety squat bar and the ox bar a little too much while I was trying to rehab it. When I started coming back, I had lost quite a bit of mobility and had to fight for it again to get back underneath the bar. And that mobility also affected, I knew, I knew it was happening when I was struggling to shave the back of my fat roll, you know, on the back of my head. <laughs> you know, that's where I knew I was losing some of that mobility that I wanted and I needed to keep. So, you know, like I said, I started using that. Shoot, I've been using strongman, strongman stuff since the early 90s. Speak to that because I feel and, like that's an area that, yeah. Well, and I met with Terry Todd in 97, and um, we talked. And he told me that, you know, he kind of gave me some parameters for, for, for the strongman stuff. You know, farmers walk implements. If they're long, you're going to tear somebody's bicep. If they're long, like we compete with and, str and strongman, because when you start running or start going too fast, that, that, that thing's going to start drifting. Nah, it doesn't drift forward. It drifts out. So once it starts drifting out, you start externally rotating, that bicep's in a real bad spot. Once it starts, unless you drop it, you're not going to stop it. You're not going to pull it back in. Okay. So you'll end, up, you'll end up hurting the bicep. So we'll use shorter implements, pinch grips, you know, towels and, and um, kettlebells, kettlebells, one kettlebell. You know, um, instead of, you know, instead of a double load, just single load. Um, tires, making sure that the tire is heavy, but not too heavy. Heavy enough that it can get over. But if you make it too heavy where they're having to drive their knee and, every, and use everything else, it's going to be too heavy, you're going to get hurt. You know, just gave me parameters to look at and, and, and things to look at to see. And it really helped me a lot. So, and then I had used them. As, as a conditioning, as a conditioning effect as well. So I started doing conditioning work with them. Um, and I talked to my buddy, Especially Evan, who, guys, right? huh? Especially I had, the big guys. I had my backs doing it too in rugby with Nola gold. When I was down there, the backs loved it. I just, you know, used a different weight for them. I, they picked their weight. And then, so I'll tell you, I talked to Evan, Evan and I, we both do the same kind of ideas with the, uh, the conditioning and, and how to pick it. So, I would have the, uh, the guys go out and they would go, oh, what was one of them? One of them was, we didn't have like the ski ergometers, so we used a rope, like the battle ring ropes. So they had, you know, like 30, 30 they had to slam in. They walked over, there was a, a, uh, one of the yoke walks, and it's nice and fat, it's got a towel on it, so it's a little more padded for a zercher carry. And the weight's down low, so it's not going to be swinging around, so they're not going to get hurt, when they start, especially when they start fatiguing. So they pick it up, you know, they go 30 meters or 20 meters. 
they get down there. So there's two hard exercises. You, you got to back them off a little bit and almost recover, but you're trying to get their heart rate up too. So it would be like, it was, I think it was like 20 kettlebell swings, 15 goblet squats, you know, 10 dips, five pull-ups. And then it went to, then it went to a tire. Sometimes I'd let them flip the tire. Other times I was an ass according to them. And, uh, you would jump, jump on the tire, jump in the tire, jump on the tire, flip the tire, jump in the tire, jump on the tire, jump over, flip the tire. Five times. That sounds like being an ass. Oh, it was an ass. I love it. So, and then I'd have them do something else. And then we would come, you know, we'd come back and it was like, all right, how many times can you get through in 30 minutes? So you take your rest where you want. Yeah. Push yourself. How many times? And this was in, this was in New Orleans in June. It was hot. It was humid. And these guys were killing themselves. They loved it. It was challenging to them, you know, and they could go at their pace and their heart rates got up and they got, we got work. And then right after that, the, uh, the big guys from the front row, we'd all go eat all you can eat sushi and then pass out from too much rice and shit in the back of my truck. (laughs) But you know, Evan does that a lot with his guys. I still do that a lot. I still do a lot in my own training. I'll do that at least twice a week. I'll come up with some kind of circuit using the strongman. And it's good for my heart. It keeps me up. I, you know, I'm not going to run. It just, be, it just beats up my knees and everything else too much. Um, Why is I need that to something do- that you see so much with basket, in the basketball population? Like, that's something that basketball coaches are, like, doing. Uh, at least they're showing it off in social media nowadays that they do it on Fridays. Like, why? What's that? The uh... strong, like they almost call it like strongman Friday. Oh, like uh, Alan and them, um, for Alan Bishop from uh, U of H, and, and a few like other guys. Him, but like you know, uh, Benetti at South Carolina Women. Really? Yeah, that's cool. Like, it's like people are. I think uh, I think Chapman's doing it at Stanford because he was doing it at Towson. Like it just seems like that's something where is that coming from the head coach? You think, or do you think it's mm. coming from the head football, uh, head basketball strength coach? It's got to come from the the basketball strength coach. They gotta, they have to do that. They gotta be wanting to do that and add that in. I think it's great. I mean, I really do. I've had Spurs players do it that wanted to. Um, Sean Elliott loved to do stuff like that. Sean uh, was a savage. Yeah, he was. Um, I trained him when he came back from his uh, kidney transplant. Became the first professional athlete to come back. I was the one that trained him. Sean's the one that introduced me to kettlebells. Really? Yep. Sean loved kettlebells. He's the one that introduced me to kettlebells. Oh, yeah. I trained, I trained him for that. That's why I put that one video up where he was making fun of me on my uh, social media. Do you see that? No, I didn't. I was, I was sitting behind the bench, and he was doing the telecast with Joel Myers, who's got a great voice. Um, I sit behind the bench, chewing on my fingernail. I didn't know the TV was on me, and Sean, it's on my social media. It's like, Big Ed! He's like, there's my str- there's our str- assistant strength conditioning coach looking for more protein in his diet. It's like, <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> then he calls me a matzo ball. <laughs> like, they, you know, then they go, you know, talk a little bit about, you know, the stuff that we're doing. And then uh, and, and that it was like, the, during the video, the trainer turns around and looks at me. He goes, hey, you're on the Jumbotron picking your nose. I'm like, I'm not picking my nose. I was chewing my nail. 
Thank God they didn't shove my finger in my nose or anything. Picking the nose and eating it like some Yeah, I've already been I've already been caught on camera doing you know, doing a nut adjustment behind Popovich because that's Popovich, where I sat. But so what was one of the biggest takeaways from training and working with, you know, the Spurs for that long? Like people that are listening to this now, you know, Tim Duncan and the admiral like what, what were some of the things that you learned with them that if you that could is- get them to understand what they're doing what you want them to do they'll do it but if you can play to what they really like they'll do anything so How you do that for me it was uh and i don't know where i came from this i had a group we were doing some warm-ups so i was doing some uh like, you know, big med, ball, big med ball, you know, circles and stuff like that. We were just kind of warming them up on the floor. So I wanted to do some slams. So, but I wanted them to be as big in the circle as they can and come around. Not that my tight ass just was. But uh, I was talking and, you know, they kind of half-assed it. I'm like, listen, um, David. I was talking to big David. We call him 5-0. That was his number. That was his nickname. It's like, yo, 5-0. I said, if you get long on this pattern, you get really long on this you get stretched out and across your core, and you really slam that down. Do you know what this will do for your golf game? And he looks at me like, talk to me more, young fella. I'm like, well, first <laughs> off, I'm like 10 years older than you, so I appreciate being called young. But so I started going through, like, the flexibility, the mobility. Don't know where I kept. I said, you know, when you got that club head back, you're really tight back there. And when you start accelerating, you're accelerating with your arms, not your hips. So that club head's turning just a little bit, and you're slicing that ball all over the place. And Terry Porter was like, oh, God, that's how he plays. They were going back and forth. So the next group was supposed to rotate through to my little, my little area. They look at the guys and some young ones are like, no, no, no. Danny Ferry, come on over here. Steve, come on over here. Young fellas, you guys go over there. We're, we're doing golf fitness now. <laughs> so, and then, you know, you know Steve. You got what you wanted out of I this. got what I wanted, and they got what they needed. But, like, Steve Kerr, Steve Kerr played at Arizona under Meg Ritchie Stone. So, he, so, so did Sean Elliott. So they knew how to do the Olympic lifts very well. Steve Kerr played under Al Vermeil at the Bulls. Steve knew how to do the Olympic lifts very well. Steve was in his, I don't know what year, you know, 10, 12 years in the league. When, I, when, he, when he was with the Spurs in 99, he's at least 10 years in the league because my friend Dan Burke was his uh, assistant strength coach um, at Arizona. He didn't want to do the Olympic lifts anymore. Okay. We'll do some scoop tosses. We'll do this. We'll do that. You don't need to do them, but you need to be strong because that's what you're going to start losing. You're going to lose that. So you need to be strong and we need a little bit of jumps, but not maximal jumps. He's like, oh, no. I'm like, no. Maximal jumps put too much stress on that Achilles tendon. That's already beat up. So, oh, there you go. Oh, there you go. So, you know, I don't want to beat up on that. You know, so I'm going to do things that are, they're effective. effective. It's the same thing for like the bigs bigs. um, is, uh, is, uh, I like, I like standing long jumps, but I'm not going to, right. But I don't want my big guys to land all the time. So everybody, oh, jump up the hill. Nah, screw that. They're still landing. So I watched CJ Hunter before he, uh, before the 96 Olympics and CJ was huge. I mean, he's a big, he's a big boy, he's a big shot putter. He would do standing long jumps and he would land on a tire. 
so he could explode and he landed on the tire so he didn't have to, you know, take that impact to hit and watch Ryan Krauser now. Ryan you just Krauser do a box does now instead then? Yeah, but if you do it to a box, you got a smaller surface. You got a you got a big old power you got a big old, you know, offensive lineman um, prop thrower. Their hips and ass are a little bit bigger than that box. They're not going to get their the feet that in close. The of a t- in the tire? Don't land in it. <laughs> land on the tire. <laughs> the nice thing is, is you can explode up, and then if you know, you'll hit it. If if you do, you'll just walk across it. So I started doing that. But when we were in New Orleans and in the in COVID hit, I took the guys out to the track. There's a really nice track in the middle of the city park. Cops didn't bother us. Nobody bothered us. We'd be out there. And they had the old long, the uh, old uh, pole vault pit up. It's like, hmm, pole vault pit, runway. Hey, come on, guys. Let's go over here. Make them run that 30-meter sprint. And they dove into the the pit. So the first, first, you know, first eight or ten jumps, they were kind of like jumping and trying to figure it out. I'm like, get creative. You don't have to just dive into it. Uh, the next, I think they did 30 jumps that day. The next, the next 20 jumps, these guys were like Heisman Trophy poses, trying to flip, trying to roll, trying to do all this other stuff. And the coaches came out there one day, and we were doing that. So that's what we did. And go back to the same thing. That's what we did on Fridays, you know, when we were locked down. Um, and the coach was like, what, what is this stupid shit? I'm like, well, just watch them. And they watch them go, and they kind of looked. And I'm like, they're getting explosive and they're having fun. You know, they're having a great time doing this means they're going to put more effort into it. Yes. I, I played to their competitive spirit yes. because now I had guys trying to jump over the damn pole vault pit. You know, I had guys that wanted to get to the edge or they wanted to try to get high. They were two of them running down there, seeing if they could cross each other. I just turned my head and not, you know, not look. <laughs> but they were, having a good, they were having a good time doing it. And you know if you have a good time doing it, you're going to do it harder. Oh, 100%. Right? So, and then, you know, after that, we were doing 400s and 200s, so I was going to destroy you anyway. So, you weren't going to walk right for two days when I got done. So, you know, I was going to make sure they had, you know, they had a good time doing it. But, like I said, you, you got to have fun doing it. I mean, if I didn't have fun doing what I do, lifting heavy picking up stones, that kind of, I wouldn't do it. You know, if it wasn't fun, I, I wouldn't do the damn stuff. So, you know, I'm trying to get them outside their comfort zone, outside of what they do. They like to play basketball, rugby, football, weight training. There's that, there's not that many that are, that like it as much as we think they do. hundred percent agreed. And how do you handle that fun with, you know, still getting work done. Cause if any of our listeners are right now, like, okay, well I, I want to have fun with them, but like, I also got a coach breathing down my neck. How do you, how do you handle that duality? Hmm. I think that's a, uh, that's your own. Hmm. I don't know. Honestly, that's kind of a, that's a, kind of a good question. A good thing to think about. Um, I get them to buy. I, I've always been lucky that I could get them to buy in and to, to what I want them to do. And the coach or the player? The players. Coaches, for the most part, they're, they're kind of hard. Coach Pop is awesome, but like my old boss, Brungie, said, you know, he knows just enough to be dangerous. Ooh. So he would, you know, he'd throw, his, he'd throw his two cents in here or there. 
Other coaches, like Coach Egan, who was Pop's coach at Air Force Academy, great dude. So one day I was in charge of, because my boss was on uh, jury duty, you know, he gave me, he gave me the, the paper that he wanted done. I'm like, yeah, that's great. I ain't doing that. <laughs> so I got, you know, the speed ladders out, some cones, you know, some other stuff. And we were doing, you know, we were, we were working out and we were doing some stuff. But Coach Egan comes in, he goes, oh man, that looks a lot like football. I'm like, what? He goes, uh, you know, the cones and, and this and that. I'm like, oh, you're right. Son of a bitch, you're right. Oh my God. I started kicking the cones, picking up the speed ladder and throwing it. He's like, oh, oh, I'm like, no, no, no. Everybody on the line, let's just go ahead and backpedal, really slow down the floor because that's what basketball does. And he just kind of looked at me. He's like, fuck you, fat ass. And he just walked off. But he kept pulling me aside. He goes, you know what? You're right. The, the, the sprints, the stuff like that, that's what they need to be doing. So he was good with that. Pop left, Pop left us alone for the most part. Um, I don't think that the guys that were the coaches in um, New Orleans really knew or cared about the weight room as much as some of the players did. And the, uh, the players, once they, once they started, they were really bought in. Once I got there, so they had somebody doing it first. Um, this guy, Bum, that owned the gym in New Orleans, West, uh, West Bank Athletic Club, phenomenal gym in New Orleans. Bum is a great dude. He was training them really hard and everything. And when I was getting ready to move there, Bum was like, you know, I need to concentrate on my gym. You know, as Ed can do the, the strength coach, you guys can hire him. Well, before I got there, I ripped my Achilles, so I was kind of sidelined for a little bit. And they had, um, they had one of the players do it, doing it. And he would just write some shit on a grease board, you know, the grease board coach, write it up there, different every day. And I come in and it's like, okay, this is what we're going to do. So I start going through it. You know, back's got, you know, back's got this, uh, loose forwards have this, tight forwards have this. We start going through. I tell them why. Within two weeks, the backs begged me, not the forwards that I mostly work with, the backs, the fast guys, begged me for another day of work. Begged me to come out to the pitch to do more work with them out there. That's dope. And it was like, okay. They're like, oh, you're really good at this. I'm like, because I'm 280 pounds you know, five foot, almost 10. That's the sport that picked me. It doesn't mean that's the only sport I know. At UTSA, I worked with track and field. At Baylor, I worked with track and field at Baylor for a year and a half. That's one of the greatest track programs in the country, you know, under Clyde Hart. You know, Michael Johnson used to come in there and, and all the way from Dallas at least once a week to do his workouts with his coach Clyde Hart and Danny Brabham. So I... I know what I'm doing with that. I, I worked in the NBA. I was a thrower at first. The everybody Jones is on the uh, on the videos with uh, Werner Gunther, right? The yeah, videos. They go crazy. Okay, one of his old training partners was was Mike Throws coach at the club that I I, I threw for when I was stationed in Germany in the army. Oh, I've done all that. Yeah, I've done all the sprints. I've done all the jumps. I've done the heavy behind the neck push press. That's why the article on my uh, website was. On the heavy behind the neck push press, I've yeah. done 455 pound behind the neck push press. Talk your shit. But so yeah, it's like so we do this, and then they would watch, and they watched me train once, and just like the Spurs players when they saw me. Of course, when I was in New Orleans, I'm you know almost 60 years old, got two blown Achilles, you know, you know healing and everything else. So 
different. But when I was with the Spurs, they would see me. I would duck off during, during you know, when they were training when we were on the road or something. I'd duck off into the weight room if I knew the strength coach and get a good lift in. Like Cleveland, uh, Stan Keller was at Cleveland. He's a great guy. He had a great weight room. Dwight Dobb, who I knew through the NSCA when he was with the uh, Seattle, when he was Seattle, when they still had a team. When I had places like that that I could go, I would do that. But the players would see me and they would freak out at what I could do. Like, I even freaked, as great as he is, I freaked Tommy Moffat out. A couple of his strength coaches, I got a chance to lift in his weight room and watch him, you know, hitting power snatches with 110 kilos. He's like, you're a year out from bypass surgery. You got wire in your sternum. You're hitting 110 kilos? Like, yeah. And then go over there, squat, you know, squat 250 kilos and, and everything else. Like, that's just what I like to do. I, I have fun. I buy into it. So through that, I think that through that, I'm able to get guys to do things that they wouldn't normally think about doing. Like Ben Franks, um, he's already, he was already lifting. He was already a good lifter. He liked to lift. Like he was out for a little bit for, with a broken foot. He rented a building and decided he wanted to put a gym there. <laughs> it's like, so, you know, when he was playing. But when in 2006, I went down to the Crusaders in Christchurch to uh, work camp underneath a guy named Ashley Jones, who's a friend of, real good friend of mine. Yeah, and yeah. Ben says he walked into the weight room and there was a guy walking back with 160 kilos on the bar, which was more than most of the guys were squatting. And I put it over my head three times for a triple and a push press. <laughs> and he's like, just gravitated towards me. So a lot of guys, they think that, and they say it, that, you know, your physical presence or what you can do, guys don't care. But the players and the athletes, they do care. And it doesn't that, like Jimmy Ratcliffe, Jimmy Ratcliffe, who was great at the, at the plyos and everything else. I took a course from him and Vern Gambetta once um, uh, before the 96 uh, clinic uh, conference in the NSCA. If you do, if you're talking about plyos and everything else and explosiveness and you walk over to a box and you do the shit that Jimmy Ratcliffe can do, they're going to listen to you. 100%. 100%. You know, if you walk in and you don't have to be, the, I, don't, I don't mean you had to be the biggest guy in the room. I don't know where the hell my shoulders came from because nobody in my family looks like I do. I swear to, I swear to God, my mom was having an affair with the milkman. So I even asked her. <laughs> She told me, no, son of a bitch. <laughs> like, so I was like, that's just kind of what I, you know, what I like to do and, and how I like to show off. But I don't want to be that immovable object that I can't move. So that's why, that's why I threw. And, and that's when I picked up the Highland Games. There, to me, that was my, my, my sport and that perfect blend of I got to be strong, but I got to be quick. And then my OCD of I had to learn how to throw these, these, these implements and the technique that, that was involved in that. And now I'm trying to learn how to throw another set of implements. I, got, I got, went out to a meet. That's a, um, I can't remember what they call it. It's like the throws pentathlon for masters. So you throw like, the, like a heel turn. You throw like a hammer, um, you know, wolf hands on a pud. I think it's. 25, 44, 56, something else. But then you throw underhand, almost like the core blaster or like a kettlebell. It's long, 100 pounds and 200 pounds for distance. So you swing this thing between your legs and then throw it out there in a sand pit. 
like, okay, that looked like fun. So I started doing that and like, okay, now I have to learn how to throw. And I learned, have to learn how to do this and not get hurt. Because I you think ever if. Done anything, anybody listening now, they might be like, yeah, fuck yeah. Like he's speaking to my soul in terms of lifting heavy, sprinting heavy, throwing heavy shit. Are you also, did you ever do any like combatives, BJJ, kickboxing, any of that type of stuff? No, I wrestled some, I wrestled some in high school. Um, when I trained the boxer, I got in there with him and I realized I don't know how to fight. I know how to street fight. I grew up on the east side of Detroit. I know how to street fight. Yeah. But. The other stuff, it just doesn't interest me that much. Um, more power to the guys that do it. It, it. it looks like it's kind of fun. It's just not something that, I, that interests me as much. Um, when I trained James, uh, the boxer, I got in there. I, was, I had all this headgear and stuff on. I was supposed to lean on him. And then he was supposed to punch, punch, punch and get out. He was learning, you know, doing some combinations for a fight we were getting ready for. It was like, okay. And uh, I'm like, James, I'm going to get you. No, 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 you're not. Like, I'm going to fucking, I'm going to light your ass up. No, 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 you're not. So I learned how to box like everybody else at the YMCA's in Detroit, you know, all over the, around, you know, learned how to do all that. So when I decided I was going to hit him, this hand wanted nothing to do with it. So it just dropped down here somewhere. This hand decided that this wasn't the, the best line to go, that it was like, go way over here and expose this giant ass head. So this one's here, this one's here, and James just pat, 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 pat. And then hit me one more time in the nose. My nose started trickling with blood. I took off the gloves. I'm like, I don't want to fucking play no more. <laughs> I'm taking my bond. I'm going home. I'm taking my gloves. I'm going home. So, yeah, I've, all that's kind of fun, but I just don't. And then I see how screwed up some of the guys get from it, and not purposely. I mean, you know, your boy Kira, look at him, like his hands and his knees and stuff I'm like Nah, I already, I'm already beat up. I, I don't need to get more beat up. Or the ears, too, right? Like, oh, yeah. No kidding. That cauliflower ear is just... <laughs> what has been the, <clears throat> excuse me, the common denominator that you have found with all of these high-level people? Because you have been around some very impressive human beings. What is the biggest takeaway that you've learned from them that you have applied in your world of coaching and then that you would recommend to our members and listeners to do as strength and conditioning coaches, athletic trainers, physical therapists, because we have a wide gambit of people that listen to this. Right. The one thing I learned, especially from the era that I was in, is they study. They study their sport. They study their craft more than you would ever believe. And this is before, so this is before a lot of the video, uh, the video analysis and everything else. So I'll give you one example is, you know, Mario, you know, Mario, Mario Elias, right? I do played know. for the, worked his, worked his ass off, played in Israel, played in South America, played all over the place to make it to, he won a championship with us with the Spurs. He won a championship oh. before us with the, with the uh, Rockets. Okay. Okay. Avery Johnson, Avery Johnson's a stud, right? No, nah. Avery, Avery Johnson, Johnson got sir. cut. Avery Johnson got cut on Christmas. Avery Johnson got cut on David Robinson's wedding day, and he was the best man. Fuck. Avery worked his ass off to get in the league and to stay in the league. So <clears throat> there was no, there was nothing like when I tr did the Avery Johnson voice. That was me trying to piss him off. Yeah, you just got to have more teeth. Avery he got Johnson. like fifteen teeth, extra teeth. Me, I used to just sit there and look at him because he called me Ed, Ed. I'm like what? <laughs> Put up his hand and 
the ball boy had given him a half a cup of water instead of a quarter cup, so I'd pour some out and hand it back to him. <laughs> but so, anyways, it was Jerome Kersey, God rest his soul, who was one of my dearest friends. Um, he uh, played for Portland Trailblazers and then played for us. Um, so I would pick up, I would go pick up food, and I would go over to either Jerome's house or Mario's house. Um, I, when TNT had games on Tuesday, Thursday, if we weren't playing, yeah. all right, we'd go, we'd all meet up. So Avery would be at home with his family on speakerphone, Mario and Jerome with me, and we'd be eating and they'd be watching the game. No video analysis. They're watching the game on TNT as and they're going. going as it's going and they're breaking the game down. They're breaking the players down. They're breaking everything down that's happening because they're going to play these teams. Yep. They've played them before. These guys have been in the league for 10-plus years. They know it, but they're still studying it, and they're still studying every bit of it. And then they're looking at me like, hey, you need to make so-and-so on, you know, whoever it was on the team better at that, at that point, you know, like down in the paint. So-and-so needs to be a little stronger here, needs to be a little bit better there. I take notes. That's so cool. Same thing. Um, I, a couple of kids that I private trained, their dads played in the NBA. I would go watch these kids that I trained, and I would sit behind these three dads. Everything they said, they said, you know, as they, they broke down what their, how their kids were doing, they would tell me what the kid needed, and I would write it down, and I had to come up with stuff. So you have to study your craft. You have to study the sports that you work in as well. When I started working with Ben Franks, you know, yeah, I played rugby but not at that level and not in that era. So when I was there in 2011 in the evenings at dinner time, I would get a, a homework assignment from him. From we would, we would watch a scrum video or we would watch this and that, or we would watch a, a, a game on TV. And then in the morning he and I would discuss it and I had to come up with the strategies to make him better at that. So I had to study that sport. I had to study every bit of it. Uh, not enough strength coaches go out and, and watch the practices, I don't think. And, and granted, sometimes you're stuck in a weight room and you don't have time to get out there. Sometimes they do, but other times they're just fucking standing around bullshitting and not actually studying. It fucking annoys me. That's, that's annoying because this is, this is what I looked like at training camp with the Houston Oilers. That's how old I am. And this is what I looked like um, with the uh, San Antonio Spurs. I got a not this towel, but I got a Gatorade towel over this shoulder. I got water over here just in case somebody needs it. Because if they hit the floor, I'm gonna get out there. I'm gonna wipe up the floor. I got another towel right there. A player needs a towel. I'm gonna be right there, but I'm gonna be down in the paint, or I'm gonna be over here watching. I'm gonna watch everything I can, and I'm gonna listen to the coaches. Now, granted, I was I have a big advantage. I sat right behind one of the greatest coaches in history. Correct. I sat directly behind Popovich. Now I'll caveat this with one like to speak into that. Yes, there are too many coaches that stay in their in the weight room and they don't go outside. Stay in their comfort they zone. Suck on the field. There's also the coaches that just fucking bullshit either with the players, the athletic trainers, or with their staff and don't do a fucking thing when they're watching practice. There are some that are doing a great job and studying and right. learning. My question to you is at what point after you studied and you've learned, and I'm not saying that you've ever arrived but every day watching practice versus there could be other things that you could productively be doing. How do you handle that duality? 
I take care of what I need to take care of. I mean, if the practice is going to be an intense practice, I want to be out there. I can wait on my stuff. If it's not going to be an intense practice, or, or then yeah, then I'm going to go ahead. I'm going to go ahead and go, you know, go take care of my, my things. Um, that's so that, that's all I did. Is you know, of course, I had the, the script before. Um, Pop was real good. Everybody had a script on, on what was going to happen. I had to be out there for you know warm ups in the morning. Um, get the guys ready to stretch. The athletic trainer might have some stuff for me to do. He didn't have an assistant for a while, um, so I was his you know pseudo assistant. That was I did that one time. Sorry to interrupt you. Go back. Oh, no, that's I did fine. That when my old assistant Kyle Cherry, he I mean he never had an assistant that would stick around because the fucking guy that was above Kyle was a bad bad human being that treated people like shit. that's a different side story. But I was Kyle, like, I filled in to try to help out. I wasn't taping ankles, but, like, he'd give me some, we'd work together where I'd work in the athletic training room with him during the camp of 2021. And it's fun. It's fun, yeah, It's because it's different. I, I learned, all, I learned a lot of my. guys like it. Yeah, I learned a lot of my rehab stuff in there. I learned a lot of the ankle stuff and knee stuff that and shoulder stuff I do right now I learned from Will. But I helped him, and here's the best part about helping him. In the NBA, the athletic trainer runs it all. Really? He's the top dog, okay? Okay. He's also in charge of travel. So if I, get a, if I want to go on, yeah, Will Sevening, who's the trainer for the Spurs, he was, in, well, I don't know, maybe not now, but he so was in charge of the travel. Seat somewhere. You needed your boy. Well, yeah, we had our, our seats on the plane, but he was also in charge of the per diem. And um, hey. so uh, a lot of times if I was going at the last time, I'd just get my per diem in cash. Don't listen, IRS. Straight per cash, diem. homie. Straight cash, homie. And he'd give me like five, six hundred bucks. And he's like, hey, if you run out, let me know. Hey. Fuck, I ran out. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. I'm taking food. I'm taking food from the plane back to the hotel room, you know. But he's also in charge of the hotel rooms, all the other stuff. So I did stuff for him because he did things for me, too. But I helped him because that's what I was, I was taught. Make yourself mm-hmm. invaluable. If So... Before I got to Baylor, I can't remember who it was. A guy named Caesar was uh, one of Rob Rogers' assistant, graduate assistants. And Caesar talked about being um, in baseball. He was in baseball. So he, he said uh, during training camp um, and, and for them, the uh, pitching coach came by. All the strength coaches were standing in this little area. Strength coach come, or the pitching coach comes by and goes, hey, who can throw batting practice? You just got to lob meatballs in. Who can throw batting practice? These guys all looking at each other, looking at each other. Caesar's like, hey, yeah, I can, I can, lob, I can lob it in. And uh, he goes, all right, we'll get out there and do that. He goes, you other idiots, you ain't going to do, do shit in fucking baseball if that's your attitude, and walked off. And that was the thing. If you're only going to do just your one thing, that's the same thing as, you know, my wife works in, in laboratories. She, she's a director of quality now. I mean, she's worked her way up from bench tech all the way through. You don't tell her ever, that's not my job. You do what you got to do for the team. Now, I was an Army Ranger, so I believe in the team, period. So if I'm on that, if it's the athletic trainer, the head strength conditioning coach, Mike Brungart, and me, we're a team, you know? We We have a task to do, and I don't care what it is. I support the team, and that's what I have to do. You know, there were times where, yeah, I wanted to go do this or that, but, you know, some, I had to do something else. You know, somebody else needed something. Okay. 
this is the reason that like a lot of times I could never lift. So when at Baylor, I would lift after everybody else. And I was in charge of like the fat boys. Pardon? The team? Yeah. You would be lifting the team after? Yeah, well, I would lift them. I would lift them. You know, my my sports that I was assigned have to help football. And then I had to go to uh, the uh, chow hall with the football team and watch the fat boys to make sure they, you know, that better selections on their, yeah. on, on their tray, which means I got to eat for free. So I was good. And then I would go home. I'd shower up, clean up a little bit. I'd go to, back then, there were, the only Starbucks was a, uh, at Barnes & Noble. So I'd go hit, you know, this is 97. I'd hit, get me a cup double espresso. Yeah. And then I would go back to the weight room at 10 o'clock at night, and I'd lift till midnight or 1 o'clock in the morning. Psycho. And, you know, I'd get up and do it all over again. But that's what time I could lift, and that's what time I could be undisturbed in my lift. Yeah. You know, as opposed to, because if somebody comes in, like when I had a private facility in Houston, that if somebody comes in early, I have to stop what I'm doing and, and take care of them. Same thing for, you know, I'm sure in college it's the same thing. You know, you have to stop yes. and take care of the task. So just learn how to work around things. But to me, that the mo- most strength coaches really honestly study the sport. That's how you're going to get better at, at not just programming the exercises and all of that. You have to know the language that they speak. Yes, 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 yes. And, and don't, don't ever try to bullshit them because as soon as you bullshit them, your credibility is gone. You may as well leave. You're never going to get it back. True. You know, so that's the, that was the one big takeaway that I, I could do is you got to be able to, you got to find a way to get them to do the stuff you want. Like I said, you want them to do. I mean, I've spent a long time trying to get convinced basketball players that they needed to squat, you know, a little bit lower than that's not even close, buddy. <laughs> and you got to tell them why. You know, you got to tell them how it's going to help their ankle flexibility. You know, I met with the, um, with the scrum coach for the All Blacks uh, when they came to play um, Ireland in Chicago. And Steve Hansen, who's the head coach, comes through the hotel lobby. He's like, oh, Ed, it's really nice to meet you. Uh, you know, I'm Steve Hansen, the All Blacks head coach. I'm like, yeah, I didn't know who you are, sir. I'm, I just, I just pissed on my, I just pissed on myself a little bit, you know. And uh, you know, so a couple other guys come by. He goes, oh yeah, oh watch out, here comes Chrono, Chrono, Mike Crone, Mike Chrono's the uh, All Black scrum coach. Yeah. A big presence, right? Like head over everybody else. He comes in, he comes to me, he goes, yeah, I'm gonna leave you. To, I'm gonna leave it to. I'm gonna leave you to it with Chrono. He wants to talk to you. And Chrono's first words out of his mouth before he ever, and we've met each other, but he didn't remember, was, why the fuck do my forwards all want to train with you? Come on, let's go to my room. And the players were like, <laughs> we go up there, we start talking, and it's like, this is why, we, this is why I do this, this is why I do that. And he's just amazed. And as much as, you know, Gilly is a great strength coach for the All Blacks and all that, the one phrase that I remember Chrono yelling out is, why the fuck doesn't my strength coach think like that? You know, when I talked about the front row guys, you and heavy barbell rows, heavy pulls, not just power cleans, but heavy pulls, um, because that you want that, this is the body position for a row, that's the body position for a scrum. If, it, if you break in a row, row at the thoracic spine, you're screwed, right? 
If you break in a thoracic spine on a scrum, the whole scrum collapses, you're screwed. So there's a lot of things that go back and forth. You have to study the, you have to study that. I had to study that. I didn't just pull it out of my ass, you know? And then we started talking about squats. Well, why, so, why do you want low? I'm like, well, because I want ankle flexibility. Get rid of the Olympic lifting shoes. I squat in flats. I squat in throw shoes. Or Adidas makes a nice zero, uh, zero drop or something like that, they call it. I, I like the zero shoes, but I don't really like the, um, they're a little too flimsy. You know what I mean? But the Olympic lifting shoes, yeah, they're great for an Olympic lifter, but I'm not an Olympic lifter. Um, I, I want to be flat. I want, that, I want those ankles to be good. And, and everything. So we talked about that. <laughs> and then we talked about like bar placement, you know, or hand placement on the bar. Is that your kid? You're good. Yeah, it's all right. Yeah, no, my, my, all right, that's fine. You're good. good. Keep going. But it's like, I'm like, yeah, you know, you want those, you know, the hands in, in a little bit tighter. And he's like, well, no, sometimes they're like that thoracic spine, that thoracic mobility and strength right there to hold that position is important. Because if I'm scrummaging, I got one arm over here and I got one arm over my head here. It's not out here. So I'm going to get the flexibility that I need here. Yeah. So I'm going to use that, that squat to develop some of that flexibility, to so develop some of that mobility. It's not just for the leg strength. It's not just for that. So learn how to do that, like good mornings and then other stuff that I did with him and, and that he, he loved it. He liked it so much that, you know, he would, I would get messages from him all the time for the next couple of years until he re retired. So, you know, asking me this, asking me that. And it's like, I had to learn the language. I had to learn the sport. Even though I played the sport, I had to learn the sport. Um, Ooh, that's really good. That's really humbling to hear because I feel like myself included and other people might think like, Hey, you kind of know it, but like, do you know the intricacies of the nuance within the coach that you're working for? Right. Yep. And that's something you really got to know. And that's why you go to practice, you know, for me, for, 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 uh, for rugby, when I worked in rugby, especially when I was in new Orleans, I used to ask the coaches down there, oh, fuck, I don't think those idiots even knew what the hell they were doing sometimes. Um, <laughs> you know, how do you play? Do you play fast? Do you play slow? South Africa plays a certain way. The All Blacks play a certain way. You know, England plays a certain way. But World Cup is going on. That's, you know, I've used that. Fiji plays a certain way. Those guys are animals. Um, they're but they could answer you with an actual answer, correct? Right. But not... Okay, anybody not, that's listening to this, because I can, like, when I would have coaches, my old coaching staff, and I think this is part of the reason that they got rid of me at Towson was... Um, they were like, oh, we're going you know, to practice fast. We're practicing fast. And in the staff meeting, I was like, hey, guys, like, you know, the head coach was like, okay, Justin actually been giving you know, me some data. And he's like, hey, Justin, why don't you speak to it? And I'm like, hey, guys, you know, we're all saying the word fast. Not a single player ran faster than 17 miles an hour in practice today. You are doing dense work. There's a lot of work in a short amount of time. You are doing really condensed field space and so rather than being like the guy that just brought something up and didn't have a suggestion i was like hey if we just expand the length of the field we'll let them open up and, and do things further and faster and they were like fuck this guy he's got to go like yeah yeah they all love the data until the data shows them that they're not doing the shit right and so that's where it's like how do you just how do you make sure everybody's on the same page with the same terminology 
right? Like, that's hard. That's that's hard. That that comes from that that comes from the top. That comes from your from your head coaches. Yeah. I mean, the head coaches got to have have that. Got to have the balls to to come out with that. I mean. I use like my buddy Evan down in um, with the Cardinals right now. He said he's got the best, one of the best situations that he's ever had in 30 years of coaching. Why is that? The coach really believes in the weight room. They believe in what he's doing. He's not just on a peripheral as a task. They believe in it. The defensive coordinator sends his assistant coaches in there to lift. In the so morning. With the guys? Or? No, no. They'll lift on their own. And Evan will help oh, okay. them. So they understand what these guys are doing. Um, okay. Aaron told me that, like Pete Carroll, if an assistant coach, during the guys were out there stretching and all that, if an assistant coach was out there jacking around <gasps> with, with, a, with a player, Pete Carroll would rip, your, rip you a new ass. You're speaking to my fucking soul here. Yes. Yeah, this is my time. Right. And I did it. Oh, God. I do not know how I've gotten away with the shit that I've gotten away with sometimes. Like, Pop interrupted me a couple of times. We were doing some stuff, uh, doing some stuff in, a, in the weight room. And, uh, you know, you, you can't say anything. So I'm just kind of sitting over there rolling my eyes. And players are fucking cracking up, throwing shit at me. <laughs> you know, because they know they can, they can read it. And uh, then he leaves and he goes and, you know, whatever. He, he did that a couple of times. So one time we were having a, a loose practice. It was only veterans were home. And Pop is the master of load management. You know, there are certain times where vets are going to stay home. You, you know, young guys are going to be there. You know, that kind of stuff. Or when he sits players. So he was going through something. I'm like, no, 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 no. That's not it. And he just looked at me and I grabbed the board from him. From Popovich. I grabbed the board. I swipe it off. I'm like, no, no. I say, listen. So-and-so, you need to go down here to the paint. I know you're little at six foot two, but you need to get your butt in the paint. You need to be here. You know, so-and-so, I need you way out here on the edge, and I, and I need you to Sean Elliott's cracking up. Duncan is rolling, right? And uh, like, this is going to work, guys. And Pop's like, get the f- out of here, fat ass, because that's the only thing Pop called me. Um, he's like, grabs the clipboard from me. He's like, what are you doing? I'm like, well, shit, coach. Just the other day, you came in the weight room. You thought you were a strength coach. So, fuck, I'm a basketball coach now. I sit right behind you. I know everything. Fucking let's go. He broke the clipboard on my head. <laughs> he literally hit me in the head and broke the clipboard. That little board, you know, their, 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 uh, their writing board there? He yeah, broke it on my man. head. But, yeah, he called me fat ass my entire time there. And I was in, like, I was in charge of, uh, of uh, fines. Time. So if you're late, went to the Spurs, if you were late, it was $1,000 plus $100 a minute. And all you would hear was, fat ass, start a clock. Click. I start my watch. And when the guy would come in, until his shoes were tied and he was on the floor, that I was supposed to keep time. And guys were like, cut, 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 it, it cost me all kinds of money. <laughs> so that, that was my, oh, they... Freaking! I'm like, nah. If you were a, if you were one of them little dickheads, I'm like, nah. I, I took it till you were in position, you know. Yeah, you other could, ones. You could have been like, I'll cut you a deal. It's only seven five. I'll, I'll get the clock <laughs> a little late, bro. Yeah. Well, well, the best part is that he would take that uh, fine money. He'd throw it in the middle of the floor in cash, and they would have uh-huh. shooting games. Oh. 
I have shooting games for like fifteen, twenty thousand dollars sometimes. In hundreds. And then, you know, you got my ass outside the weight room door with a hat, like a fucking tip jar. <laughs> you know. Cause I'd help a little bit. You're you know, it was only two balls, two teams, and you weren't supposed to help, but if you were down there and the ball went out of bounds, you kinda helped a little bit. Guys from the other team would you know start giving ragging at you and everything. But if you forgot to tip me, um, yeah, I'd kick the ball in the sands. You can go shag it. Or I'd stand right next to it. Who the hell did you tip him last time? Like <laughs> 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 at least throw a couple hundred dollar bills in the hat. Hey, Brunky and I got to eat. Hey, we got to hey. eat. <laughs> Amen to that, brother. But like I said, it's it's being personable. It's it's doing that. Like after games, I had guys that would that is, especially with the Spurs, we'd lift after games. Some of them, like a lot of starters, um, finish them Just out because they were already fatigued or what? Right, because they were already fatigued, and we wanted to start that healing, healing, and everything, and they wouldn't have to do it the next day. Yeah. Um, but I would come in the weight room, I'd jump up on the desk, you know, start you know, telling people what, you know, what we had going. If you didn't play 20 minutes, you had to condition for 20 minutes. So I was in charge of that. And guys would know that I'm very bad with a stopwatch. They're like, how much more time? Like, uh, five seconds, which means it's like another extra minute over. I just didn't pay attention. <laughs> guys were like, dude, you need to find you a girlfriend. You cannot have this much fucking energy at, at, at fucking 10 o'clock at night. Like, <laughs> Guys, I love what I do, and that's that's the I think that's the biggest takeaway for 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 a lot of guys is I absolutely love being a strength conditioning coach. I saw an article in Strength and Health magazine in the 1970s, and it was a guy named Bob or Colfer. I uh, can't remember Doc Colfer's first name. I'm drawing a blank on him. And anyways. It showed this guy at St. Bonaventure. They go, dude, 70s big. They go upper body, little skinny ass legs. He was the strength coach slash cross country coach at St. Bonaventure. Okay. I, I remember 70s big. That was like a website, right? Uh, yeah, but it's a different. It, 70s big was okay. big upper body, small legs. Okay. Even the bodybuilders from that era, big upper body, small legs. So I put that up in my room as a kid. And I said, Terry Todd was one of my mentors in 77. We moved from Detroit up to Northern Michigan. Um, and I was pissed off. I was out in the garage lifting the, with the little weights that I had and stuff. Cause now I'm not at the YMCA anymore. And my stepfather who's a Lutheran minister called me in the house. 77 world's strongest man was being played. Terry Todd was right there, you know, and, and everything. And then inside of strength and health magazine was an ad um, the next, I don't know how long later, for Inside Powerlifting, the book that Terry wrote. And I begged for that. And I got that in probably 79. And I went to the Army. And I had that book. And I carried it ever since. So when I was at Fort Polk in Louisiana. I went down to Austin, where Terry was, for a powerlifting meet and to watch. And I talked to Terry about getting into powerlifting. He introduced me to his cousin. Told me to go find him down in Corpus. I used to drive from... Six and a half hours from Fort Polk, Louisiana to Corpus Christi for the weekend. Every other weekend, every third weekend if I was off duty. Just so I could lift weights with these guys. And then I would go back. And I would show up just in time for formation. Like, I would drive through the night, ship, shower, shave, and be in formation for PT at 6 a.m. And start my day. 
Nope. Monday was a rough day. <laughs> but, you know, I did that because that's what I wanted to do. I really do love what I do. Unfortunately, sometimes, and, and I've heard coaches say it, um, the biggest compliment I ever got was uh, uh, the Richie, whatever his name is, was the uh, trainer for the, um, uh, oh, crap, uh, Detroit Pistons. He like likes to stand outside the the, the uh, huddle and just sit there at the other, like this and sit and stare at the other team. So I did the same thing back. And Will was, had been with the Pacers, so I'm like, "What the hell's up with that?" He goes, oh, "He does this shit all the time." And when he walked by Will, he goes, "Hey, who the fuck is ZZ Top on steroids back there?" <laughs> like goatees down to here and everything. But I had another coach um, with the Austin Rugby Club told my buddy who was the strength coach. He goes, "You know, that's you know so and so." It's like, "Oh yeah." He looks like all strength, no conditioning. I'm like, ooh, like, yeah. I'm more, I'm fitter than you. I'm fitter than you'll ever believe. I'm but than you, motherfucker. yeah, no kidding. But it was like, that's not the sport that picked me. But that's not the way I coach. You know, I got picked. I got picked to power lift. I love basketball. I'm five foot ten. I couldn't shoot a basket. I used to play um, horse with the guys. I would have Z. I played alphabet. They played horse. I would have a Z before anyone had an O. But they would fucking do anything for me because I would play. You know, because I would get in there and play. They would do anything I asked them to do. You know, um, but that's that's it. Is like I do this because this is what I really do. Really do love it, and. Because I love it so much, I study it. You know, I, uh, I experiment on myself. I experiment with others. I have fun. I literally, I really, I have a fucking blast. I always have. You're speaking, you're speaking to strength coaches right now. What would you say needs to change to make it great, to make it better again? I don't know. I think I've been out of it for a couple, several years at the uh, I, 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 honestly, the pay needs to be better, and we all know that. Yeah. But I get tired of watching coaches lose their jobs. There's no continuity for the kids. Yes. You know, um, strength coaches have more contact with these guys, these kids, than anything, anybody, any other coach. And you know, just because you change staffs doesn't mean everybody has to be a whole. It's funny how the athletic trainer never goes. Right. Athletic trainer never goes. Right. But the strength coach is packing his shit. You know, he's been there for two years. What, what effect did you have on in two years? You, you haven't Thank had an you. effect yet. You, you really haven't. You know, the guy that I met with uh, from Australia, uh, my buddy Dan, he's been with the Melbourne Storm for 17 years. Wow. He is the strength and this – is, this, is the setup that, this is the setup I want. He is the strength and power coach. He has another guy on staff that does the speed and conditioning. Oh. Like, and they get along perfect. They've been together for like 15 years. They have a director of, director of performance who kind of oversees everything and the, and the athletic trainer, physio. Those four guys get along great. They're all on the same page and everything else. But 17 years as the strength coach means you have had an effect that continues to go. And you the know? kids can come back and show their families and they're like, it's how good that is. Yeah, that's exactly it. You know, and he gets to establish his family in, in, in buy a home and yes. everything else, you know, 
Hey, nothing worse than, you know, getting fired. And every coach knows you're going to get fired. Yeah. Why? You know, everybody else gets to stay in their job. If I had to do it again, honestly, I think I would go to a major, t- major university and I would go straight to the Olympic sports side. Because mm. I look at Donnie Mabe, who is at University of Texas. Donnie won a national championship with, uh, with uh, um, he's going to kill me if I forget, Georgia Bulldogs. He was a big old defensive lineman. He, that man was jacked. Yeah. And he's a great strength coach, but he left. He was with Mad Dog for a while, and he got that opportunity to go to the uh, to the Olympic side. Yeah. He's never getting fired. Yeah, no, and, and anybody that's listening to this that might work in football, like going Olympic and working with swim and dive, because those kids are fucking tough, and it's a big group of kids. Yeah, that'll, that'll scratch the itch. That's uh, people don't realize some of these other sports. My my softball girls would kill themselves women's ice hockey are a bunch of fucking savages really oh that would be cool they train so much harder than the guys did at least at harvard and at least Mm -hmm. back in 2011 and 12 the guys really just motherfucker like like yeah want to do shit the girls bro they got the fuck that was a when i got to baylor i uh i i I don't know what my, where that reputation came from or anything like that, but the softball coach, Paula Jones, came in. Uh, we were sitting there. We were getting our assignments and, and for GA. And she looked at Rob. She says, hey, that's Ed, right? And I looked. I was like, uh, I don't know you. <laughs> She's like, yeah, I'm Paula. I'm the softball coach, Chickie Mason, who, you ha- who was your coach at UTS. I'm like, yeah, Chickie and I get along really well. She goes, yeah, Rob, I want him. And uh, Rob's like, well, I gave him. He, she goes, you hear what I just said? I want him. And she walked out. And Rob's like, I guess you got softball. I said, hey, coach, y'all don't do that cheerleading shit in the dugout, do you? She goes, no. I'm like, okay, I'll, I'll go to softball. <laughs> so I had softball uh, opening uh, one of my first days. I had softball and, and, girl, and women's basketball, right? So I get there early. I'm at the, there was a, at the Farrell Center. Then there was a, a little weight room. So I get there early, like I'm supposed to. I get you know, the, the recovery drinks and all that kind of stuff set up. I get all these different fl- – back then, they only had power bars, you know, chewing on RX, fucking right? – yeah. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Sandpaper bars? Yep. But I had, all the different fl- I had all the different flavors out. I brought them over from the stadium and everything. So I had everything laid out. So the softball girls get done training, and the, the basketball girls are coming in, and they're talking, and I see all these girls damn near crying and, and stuff. I'm like, what did I do? You know, they're, you know, they're, they're talking, they're emotional and they leave and, you know, my basketball girls get going. I'm like, Hey, you know, just like I told the softball girls, y'all grab some of those power bars and take them with you. They're good snacks throughout the day. And, and, you know, you can have as many as you want. We got tons of them. And they're like, we only knew that there was malt nut. Like, Oh my God, malt nut is horrible. She goes, I'm like, there's chocolate, there's this, there's that. And I said, they're all right here. He goes, she goes, no, you don't understand, coach. No one has ever brought us that. No one's ever told us that. We've never had cold, you know, cold, uh, it's not Gatorade, whatever, knockoff Dr. Pepper fucking shit they had because um, it was Dr. All Pepper sports, was sponsored. Yeah, there you go. And, and that, it's like, so I got called up to uh, the softball coach's office and a couple of the other coaches were in there. She's, uh, I'm like, what did I do? She goes, the girls have never been treated like athletes before until you. 
they always got treated like second-class citizens because everybody wants to work with football. Good for you. I'm like, wow, okay. Well, football sucks at Baylor at that time. <laughs> we won two games that season. Everybody got fired. But I was like, no, I mean, I was assigned to them. I'm going to do what I need to do for them, you know. Preach. Preach. You know, I go over and warm them up, go to class, come back. Fucking people at Baylor trying to go to try to go to class in a pair of green shorts and a gray T-shirt. And I changed in the parking lot because I already soaked through it. I got you know that damn uh, that uh, whatever that red clay shit is at the soft on the softball fields all over my yeah, socks and shoe. Yeah. And I'm at Baylor, and those people are looking at me like, "Are you really in graduate school, boy? I don't think you even belong at this school." How'd you get in here? How'd you get here? Are you How'd Baptist? You get in? <laughs> <laughs> hey, security. I, you know what? I'm going to speak to that too because there was a. I, I filled in for the women's lacrosse team earlier this year when their strength coach was on the road with uh, a team in conference championship, and those girls. It was like the first time they've ever actually been coached. And the last day, I was like, "Hey, you know, it's been awesome, break like getting to work with you. Um, you know, I'm still going to be around, but like, it, it's been a pleasure to get to work with you." And like, they literally broke it down on like, "We love Lima." And then they were like, they kept just talking about like how the difference and how they got coached, and they were talking about it in the athletic training room. And like, my head football athletic trainer was like, "Bro, what the fuck?" He's like, "They haven't stopped talking about how like they got treated differently." I'm like, "Bro." I, I was just assigned to help and train them during this period of time. So that's what I'm going to do. Like nothing else matters during that time. I'm supposed to be with them. I'm going to fucking train them. It's that simple. Yeah. yeah. And I'm going to have fun doing it. And I'm going to, you know, I'm going to coach. It's going to be a blast. Yeah. Like, and I'm going to coach. Shorts and a t-shirt. Right. That's it. That's, that's the what thing the that same... so many people forget. That's the same thing I would talk about. Like when I was at the Spurs or any place else that I've stopped. Look at where I'm at. Look what I, mean, I get you, to you do. You said it. You're a, you're a ranger. Like, you saw real shit. Mm-hmm. Yep. You know, and, like, now yeah. we've got coaches. Like, I literally had somebody tell me and the rest of the staff that wearing a hat on the floor coaching was unprofessional. I was like, I pulled them aside. I was like, you're not fucking serious, are you? Like, I didn't say fuck, but I was like, come on now. Like, are we going to start wearing polos? Like, what the fuck are we talking about? We're working yeah. in college athletics, man. Right. The only time you're going to see me in a polo was behind the bench or on game day. And that was after I got done warming, and we had to. And that was after I got done warming them up. And you know, I, I see somebody somebody put up stuff like you know, coaches in the eighties and nineties had your shirt tucked in. I'm like, yeah, I looked professional. That's that's what I was doing. It was a pullover. It was a polo, and, I, and it was tucked in because it's a three XL, and three XL goes down to my knees. Amen. That's why uh, Aaron uh, Aspus Aaron gives me the nickname three XL Stout. I need three XL in the shoulders. Not just so much in the length. Because <laughs> he gave me a t-shirt uh, when he first started with Sornex. He gave me a t-shirt. Um, and it's a great shirt. I put it on. It drops down way past my shorts because I still wear shorts. Yep. I looked. I was like, oh, well, hell. I put my lifting belt on. I'm like, fuck, I'm ready to go out. I, and I went ahead and took my shorts off. <laughs> it was like, sweet, what the hell are you doing? I'm like, hey, it's a dress. I look good. Let's go. <laughs> you get your buy me dinner you can choose on as your high heels and elevate you know, oh yeah yeah not fall <laughs> what is what is something that like you just feel to help get because there's so much technology and strength and conditioning right now do you think it's good or bad or are you indifferent i'm slightly indifferent but i think what a lot of the technology is doing is 
coaches are losing what we would call a coach's eye. They don't know what they're looking for. They rely on that technology, and they're here instead of here. You know, I know, I, I know that because I have one. I have a Tendo unit in, in my in here. I can cheat that son of a gun anytime. Amen. You know, um, I can cheat that jump mat too. But, and I could use it to jump mat for a little bit of stuff, but if I'm going to test a vertical, sports you reach for stuff. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm testing on a vertex. Or the, and at the gym I had in Houston, I threw, I took a, like baseballs, put a little eye bolt in them and a rope, and I threw it over the rafters. It was a big warehouse. I threw it over the rafters, and I would set one at, there was one at seven feet, seven, six, eight. Eight six all the way up to all the way up to twelve feet, so it gave the guy something to try to swat at to make it swing. They tried to break it, but that's the che- that's the competitive side of them. Yep. But y- you know, did that down at New England, where he'd have like hanging from the the ceiling, it would have mm-hmm. like it would say the height of it, so it'd yep. be a little bit longer for short and, and, and same thing. Yeah, yeah and, it, and it's it's funny because in competitive, hey, I'll, I'll go back to uh, the old way of. Uh, testing vertical where you used to take and put chalk on their fingertips and then go up and try to reach above it. You know, but I understand some of, some of it. I don't understand a lot of that technology that's used in high school. Like you are spending, you are spending all this money on technology. You really just need to, they need to be strong in high school. They're high school. It's strength that they lack, especially with IMG like my. IMG is fucking it up by doing what they're doing. Is that is that what it is? Dude, IMG down there, like you see their videos and stuff. Like you see that they got Tendo units and bands and chains. I'm like, what in the actual fuck are you doing? Like the kids, you maybe have like a 14 year old, 16 year old. You know oh, what I mean, like stop. That was at, at Nola. I had uh, two guys from that were uh, two Canadian players, and they were doing the. And I love Cal Dietz, and I lift, I've talked to him so many times and everything else, but they were doing French contrast. I'm like, dude, even with a band-assisted jump, you still got a fucking credit card vertical. Amen. Or I see these. And you're not leaving the ground in your sport. They're doing an oscillating row with 40 pounds. I'm like, bro, your athlete literally can't even do a single-arm dumbbell row with a 100-pound dumbbell? Yeah. Tough to shit. Yeah. Well, I was uh, you know, talking to uh, Chrono um, like I said, you know, he was like, oh, yeah, yeah row, row, you know, let me show him. Like, Corona, if you show me the, the video of that, this one player of his doing an 80-kilo row, I will throw up and leave this room. And he starts laughing. He goes, well, I'm like, here, here's a video for you. I was like, here's me. And I handed it to him. He goes, how much is that? I'm like, that's 185 kilos. But your back doesn't move. You're, you're not moving while you're doing it. I'm like, no, I'm not. And you're not going to move. You're not going to move. Move me if we're scrummaging. You know, it's strong positions, and that's what people don't realize. Like these high school kids, my high school basketball players, before they could be more explosive or anything else, they needed to be strong. I got a kid that's 15 years old. He's six foot seven. He's got a size 16 shoe. It takes some strength to pick that big long lever up and pick that big ass shoe up. You know. Will Purdue was seven foot tall. You know he had a size twenty shoe. Jesus. He had a pair of weight weightlifting shoes. Albert Meal had a pair of weightlifting shoes made for him from Adidas. Oh, he just sawed a fucking two by four in half and made boom, put it down. There you go. There's but, your shoe, bro. 
Yeah, but it's like there's they need to be strong. In high school, they need to be strong. And if you're a coach, you should be able to look and see if that bar's moving fast. Yes. I, I can see it. I like the gamification of it for a little bit. For oh, yeah. Athlete, but that's outside of that, it's like, man, come on now. Put it on there for a couple of training cycles. You know, put it on there for, for a, for a four week block or something. Maybe you're doing, maybe you're doing uh like you're trying to do some speed squats and I like to speed squat with a band. So it's, you know, I, I'm going to explode up and the bar's not going to go anywhere. That's why I like the band to kind of temper it and hold it on to me. So yeah, put it, put it, put it in front of them on that. Hey, you know, you got, you got, you got to do five triples. Make sure that your marks are here. You know, I legitimately saw a coach programming, um, chain speed, uh, rear foot elevated squats with the shoulder saver bar <clears throat> and only like uh, a singular chain or maybe like a 25 pound plate and a chain. I was like, what, what the fuck are we That's doing? That's not doing what, anything. What's going on? And I'm sorry. It, it, this will make, this will make all the, the, this will make strength coach Twitter um, cry, but uh single leg squat is a accessory movement. It's not a prime mover. Oh, here we go. Yeah. Let's it's go. not a prime say mover. It, say it. Two Same. feet on the ground. I play. I played rugby with two feet on the ground. If I are pick you up throwing a pure single leg squat, are you saying when you're in a, a bilateral split stance or so a split squat rear? I well, all right. So if you're in a bilateral split squat, isn't that a isn't that both feet on the ground? It kind of is. Isn't it, it kind of is. It is. It is. I'll use and I do them and I do them fairly heavy. I yeah. hold on. I hold on to the rack though. I'm not making it a balanced thing. I do yeah. single leg squats. I do step ups. I'm a big believer in different variation box step ups. You know, low low box is going to hit that quad. Higher the box is going to hit that ass and, and those hammies. Mm-hmm. I also take the load from down down next to me, or a kettlebell load here, and I take the load overhead. Okay. You know, there's three different three different ways. I'll do split squats that way. I do single leg squats. I've done I've done 405 with a bar, not a safety squat bar, for a triple and a single leg squat with my leg back on the single leg squat thing. So, you know, it didn't equate to my 854 pound squat either, but it's, it's, it's what I've done. It's, it, it's effective. Um, like some of my basketball guys couldn't go down deep in the squat and everything like that. So we would squat and then we would use step ups to get the rest of what I wanted and I could get some flexibility out of it. But I really don't think that, uh, I'm going to program heavy, heavy split squats. And the one thing, and I, like I said, I like to do them. I believe in them. And I do them like after heavy pulls. Like on a heavy day that I'm going to heavy pull, that's going to be my first movement as a split squat. You know? I actually uh, do that too. It, uh, with a deadlift, same mm-hmm. day of a deadlift, yeah. I would do my unilateral work. Yep. And then it would be like an RDL with a back squat day. There you go. Yeah, that's, that's it. That's what, that's what I like to do. And, and I, feel, I feel it's real effective. Now, if I see you slam, slam your knee down on the ground, or you, even if it's on an AirTex pad, I will, throw the, I will throw shit at you. <laughs> Control. I don't want to slam that knee down on the ground. That's why I, I don't like, uh, I like the Nordics, but I don't like them. Because every time I've done them, somebody holds, for some reason, when my kneecap, my kneecap gets pushed back in like that, it, yeah, just tracks, like it just beats the shit out of my knee. That's why I like the GHRs. Right. That's why I like the GHR a whole lot better than, than that. And uh, and if I'm 60-something years old and as big as I am and everything, and I can do glute ham raise, then you can do glute ham raise. I can do them correctly. You can do them correctly. And then what I do with glute ham raise is I roll over and do the old-school um, Roman chair sit-up. 
Tuck that chin right. down. Get that. Yeah, oh, get that. Get that stretch on those hip flexors. Yes, yeah. Sir. Get that stretch on those hip flexors all the way down to that lower ab. That'll make a man out of your ass. The same thing as doing overhead squats. I mean, I like overhead squats. Now, not everybody can do overhead squats with a bar. Do overhead squats with a kettlebell. I like you know? bands. It, 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 I haven't tried it with like, band. The band, it, rather than the dowel, or uh-huh. like just let the band get pulled apart. Uh-huh. Right? And it actually like it'll help um, turn on your core, your lat, whatever yeah. freaking whatever word you want to use. But it, it I, I've noticed that it helps. I like it. Oh, that's cool. I'm gonna have to try that. You know, give it a shot with like start with a lighter band, heavy mm-hmm. in, in, increase with it. Like it's a great movement to add into um, into a warm up or within some version of a complex. Yeah, I'll, I always throw a I always throw a complex in at the beginning or the end of my training because I, I you know got to keep my heart healthy. Um, I do you know I have the I have the uh, the wonderfulness of the uh, the scar from sleep apnea. Where most guys, and that's one of my things that I do with, um, with the old strong guys rule that hashtag I started. I wanted it to be more education, inspiration, and motivation for the masters, not just athletes, but everybody. Like um, Joey Batson reached out to me after he had his bypass surgery, the strength coach for Clemson, a um, couple other, several other guys. I want to give them the information that I didn't get and a little bit of help that I didn't get, but it's also trying to trying to keep that 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 i don't know just trying to keep them going with that so mine was i my sleep apnea was so bad for so many years and i didn't know that's what it was um nobody said anything um spurs players just didn't allow me to sleep on the same floor that was the running joke but when i got with sally and we went away for uh, um for a trip out to pleasanton california for nationals for me for throwing in a scottish games she, we almost never made it back. She almost killed me because I snored so loud. She couldn't sleep. Like I woke up and tried to find her. She was in the bathtub with the blanket and pillows over her head. Poor thing. I mean, but I didn't know. So she's like, no, you are going to get a sleep study. And then I learned the damage that I did to my heart. And then later that year, I, uh, no, several years later, I blew my Achilles, um, and I had my left Achilles, and I had um, nine additional surgeries from uh, from uh, infections. I had an ass hat for a doctor, and I, I fought for my life uh, from sepsis. I almost, I had three surgeries in San Antonio four months after, and when I got to move to Houston, it was building building my gym there. Uh, it exploded and two pieces came out of my ankle. They look like two pieces of cloth. I'm a meathead. I grabbed them, tried to pull them out, passed out. They were my Kevlar tendon graft that for the ankle surgery did as well. So um, I went to the hospital the, uh, the, the, uh, the couple of days later. They were, wanted to take me into surgery immediately, but I had, my heart wasn't working properly, they said. So I had to go get a scan. I go to a heart specialist that they sent me to. I'm cleared. Heart's fine. I had the surgery. He, came, he comes out. He tells Sally, well, we're able to save his leg for now. And she just looked like what? And they had the amputation tools in there in case it was in the bone. So I had four more surgeries. I had surgery every couple of days. Didn't walk. I didn't walk from 
December till August. I was on crutches or a boot. And then I rehabbed and, and got going. The doctor looked at me. I was trying to get more rehab from him, like physical therapy. He goes, well, they give a massage, this, that. I'm like, yeah, you know. He goes, listen, I looked at your website. I've listened to you. You know more than a physical therapist. Go get your work done. So I got in the pool. I, you know, I did all the work. Come back. Two years later, my heart stops. And, you know, I have a blockage. And my Widowmaker was blocked. I uh, stood up in my room, in the, in the living room, passed out, hit the ground. That compression restarted my heart, or, or at least put it back in the correct uh, rhythm again. But I couldn't walk. So I crawled on my hands and knees into the bedroom to wake my wife up and uh, waited, waited for an ambulance. Well, actually, I'm dumb because I was like, I just got indigestion. Go get me a Coke so I could burp. And I went and took a shower. <laughs> And because uh, I was sweating so much. And then we drove to the hospital because I didn't want to wait for an EMS unit. EMS ain't that great sometimes. We got about halfway there. We didn't know where we were. We, we couldn't remember where the hospital was. I'm like, oh, I'm over here doing this shit to myself. And we pulled into a med clinic. The guy says, hey, uh, how you feel? I'm like, I feel like dog shit. What do you, how do you think I'm doing here? Fuck. He's like, yeah, you're in the middle of a massive heart attack. I'm like, oh. All right. He goes, well, we're sending you over Memorial Harmon. It's across the street. I'm like, okay. Like this. He goes, where are you going? I'm like, well, I walked in this motherfucker. He goes, yeah. And the ambulance is taking you across the street. <laughs> I got over there. Um, they had given me heparin, so I couldn't, uh, I couldn't uh, have the, um, the uh, stent put in. I had to wait. Otherwise, I'd bleed out. Uh, so they were waiting, and the doctor was talking. He's a great doctor. I still go see him. I mean, I used to travel from New Orleans back to Houston just to see him every six months. And, and I, so anyways, uh, I coded once in the elevator. I coded again on the table, um, uh, nitro paste, sternum rubs. He's like, how you feel? I'm like, fucking elephant on my chest. You know, and, and we're talking and he's, you know, getting the catheter, you know, getting ready to get the catheter in my, in my vein, in my leg. And he's talking to me some more. He's like, oh, how you feeling? I'm like, I don't know, Doc, but they're having a fucking barbecue, and there's two rhinos up there, too, so you need to hurry this. And I just keep yelling, fuck, all the time. So a couple minutes in, he yelled, fuck, really loud. I'm like, what, what? He goes, oh, nothing. I just hadn't heard you in a while. Like, <laughs> then he tells me I need bypass surgery and everything. That was devastating to both Sally and myself because that's not what I'm supposed to have. And he explains some things to me, tells me how tough I am, tells me everything. I know this. I know that I'm going to be fine, maybe. What hit me the hardest was a few months later when I went to one of my checkups. Uh, I went with uh, Sally came with me, and she walked me through what she went through, what I didn't understand. Yep. The waiting room, yep. my name up on the board. Her, she's in the medical field. She knows what different things are that I was dead um, when the bypass machine was working for me while they were preparing my heart. Fuck. She, she walked me through that. She was a rock star in that. Um, she had set meals in the refrigerator when I got home. I would walk her to the car. I had to do my walk, and I'd go back. I'd take a nap. I had meals and snacks. She had all that set up while she's working, 
running, you know, running the microbiology department at, at her laboratory and everything. It's like just a friggin' rock star with it. And then, yeah. you know, and but like I said, those, those and what she did, what she went through, what she talked to me about, that's what I tried to share with. And this is honestly, this is the first time I've got to share this. So, yeah, it's hard. That's it's okay. 10 years. It's almost 10 years. Uh, November, I do, a, I do a nuclear dye stress test. It'll be my third one. My heart's doing great. As great as it's going to. I keep it healthy. I eat well. Dropping body weight. I dropped from 285 down to 260. Um, I'm actually going to do my own little video here pretty soon. Um, I'm going to lose the triple X stout um, hashtag. I'm going down to double X stout. I don't need to be that heavy. I need to take care of myself a little bit better. I, first too long, I kind of chased it. Where yeah, fuck y'all. I'm 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 in I'm superhuman. I, I I can I can get all this, but nah. And that's the part with like coaches. They don't take care of themselves, and those are the ones. Those are the ones I want to talk to. And you know, I'd like for the NSCA to be able to. I'd be able to like to be able to talk to them about finding ways to make their own heart healthy. And not all of us are going to run, and not all of us want to walk. But there's ways of doing it in the weight room. Those strongman circuits are a way to do them. You know, doing some circuits are a way to do them. <laughs> Lifting a little faster. I got I got a pace. You know, when I lift and train, I don't really rest very much. I superset a lot of stuff. Superset a lot of stuff. So, so I just, uh, I just uh, those are the things I want to share with everybody else. So. We're going to make that happen because I'm actually having the, the guy that hosts the NSCA podcast. He's coming on the show. Um, this I don't know when anybody's going to listen to this or when it's going to air. Today's October 20th, um, so I'm, I'm, he's coming on in November, and his episode's probably going to air in January. But um, we're going to find a way to make this happen with because more people need to, to hear that part. Yeah, and that's that's uh, with all the stuff that I do and everything like that, I think – the old, the old strong guys rule the master stuff. I, I think that's, that's where my passion really lies. And I've not been true to it where I've not been able to share it. I tried to share it once at Summer Strong with uh, Sornex. Bert had me yeah. come out there. You know, I go out there anyways. But uh, had me come out there, and that's what I was supposed to. And I couldn't do it. I just wasn't ready to do it. And then uh, some of the guys that are out there that are like me that were operators, they, they're the ones that helped me a lot. Um, Rudy Reyes, who's a stud. I mean, Jesus, Rudy was such a, a badass that uh, they made a movie out of him. And uh, he's a LERP, Long Range Recon Patrol for the Marines. Yeah. And Rudy is, like, legit badass. And, and that those are the guys that helped me a lot. Um, but uh, still hard to share. Still hard to kind of, and I want to be able to share that. I want to be able to organize my thoughts a lot, lot better. And, and get that out and how I do these things and what I do. And I'd love, like I said, I'd love to be, I've been a member of the NSCA since 89. I'd love to be able to talk and be able to, these are the things that you can do to get you, keep your heart healthy. You keep your heart healthy, keep your mind healthy. If one's not there's healthy, no the other's not healthy. <clears throat> I don't think there's a better spot to, to stop this because I could talk to you all day. What yeah. I'm going to do, uh, I'm going to do my part to continue to share this with the NSCA. We're going to share this with the world. Cool. Uh, I appreciate you sharing your story, and I want to speak 
truth to it because I've, I've been there where speaking about things like I get emotional and my yeah. wife and I literally just talked about that earlier in the day. And like, I go, listen, how do you think if like, I go, Megan, you cry. How do you think it feels to be me, a, a 250 pound former offensive lineman that gets emotional about things like it yeah. ain't easy. You know, yeah, wear that heart, wear that heart on the sleeve on some things. Yep. It, it's not easy. You know? Stuff like, like that. And so, how much I love my wife. That, those are the two things that I <laughs> Amen to that. Like, uh, you know? I, I 100%, I feel you on that. And I just want to say I appreciate you for, for being on this show. Um, yeah, and, and I, I appreciate that opportunity. I will. You too, man.